I hope that you will turn with me in a Bible to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 10. The first Gospel, the 10th chapter, and we will be focusing on verses 7 to 15. Matthew 10, verses 7 to 15. At the end of Matthew chapter 9, we see this account of Jesus during his earthly ministry, looking out on the crowd. And when he looks out on the crowd, he doesn't just see a crowd, he sees people who are in desperate need. He sees people who are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He sees people who are wandering and who are lost and who cannot save themselves. And when he sees that, he is moved with compassion. His heart goes out to them. And he says there is work to be done. And he uses the imagery of a harvest field. And he says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few Pray to the Lord of the harvest, therefore, that he might send out workers into his harvest field. And at the beginning of chapter 10, we see how Jesus answers that prayer by appointing his 12 apostles and by giving them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And he sends them out. And what we have recounted here is is a short-term, limited mission to those whom Jesus calls the lost sheep of Israel. So what is described is an historical incident in the earthly ministry of Jesus. But the principles that Jesus teaches his apostles as he sends them out are principles that apply to you and to me and to anyone who would claim to bear the name of Christ. We're sent forth with a message, a royal message, a message that is the same now as it was then. It's a message to be heard, it's a message to be received, and it's a message to be proclaimed. So let's read about that message and how the Lord wants this message to be proclaimed. So Matthew 10, beginning at verse 7. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirts or sandals or staff for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, Search there for some worthy person 
and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. So Jesus says, as you go out, he's sending them out, workers, into the Lord's harvest field. And as they go, he says, you are to proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the message. And then he says how he wants it to be proclaimed. Let's be clear about this message. It is a royal message. It is, in effect, hear ye, hear ye. As the old town criers used to do. And in contemporary language, we we have a statement from Buckingham Palace. In other words, only this is a statement from heaven. Hear ye, hear ye, listen up. A royal message to be brought by royal ambassadors, ambassadors for Christ, his emissaries, his diplomats. And the message is that the kingdom of heaven has come near. And here's what we need to understand about the message. This is a message that God's power, heavenly power, is being exerted. It's visible, it's seen, it's being exercised. Heavenly power. And we're given a description of that power by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 61 verse 1 the spirit of the sovereign lord is on me because the lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners in other words all those things that ensnare and enslave people that oppress them, that hurt them, that wound them. God's power is being exerted to redeem them, to save them, to free them. The kingdom of heaven coming is a statement that God's power, His sovereign heavenly power, is being exerted here, now, in the person of the King, King Jesus. This is the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Oaks of righteousness. This is a power that is permanent in its effect. Permanent. This is lasting. This is enduring. This cannot be shaken. That's the kind of power that God exerts through his kingdom. Power, as with any kingdom. But this power is primarily a spiritual power now. 
to provide spiritual liberation and redemption to God's people, anticipating one day when it will be physical and tangible, a physical kingdom on earth. But for now, God's power is exerted spiritually to redeem, to free. This is the year of the Lord's favor. Hear ye, hear ye. Shout it from the rooftop. It's also a message that shows us that God's promises are being fulfilled. God's promises, those same promises of this eternal kingdom and this eternal covenant that he made through prophets like Isaiah, it's come in the person of Jesus Christ and in his ministry. It's come. This tells us what time it is. God said this time would come. It's come in part, and it's looking forward to the day when Jesus will return to finish what he began. Promises are being fulfilled. Isaiah 61, verse 4, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. It will happen. Those things that have been devastated and corrupted, destroyed and ruined by sin and death and all the effects of the curse of sin upon this world. They will be rebuilt. And it's starting now. The kingdom of heaven. Listen up. Pay attention. It's at hand. It's come near. This new age has been ushered ushered in. This is what God has promised. See its fulfillment now. A royal proclamation. But the other thing we need to understand about it is that preparation is necessary. Preparation is necessary. And that preparation is implied in what Jesus tells them to say here, that the kingdom of heaven has come near. But it's made explicit in the preaching of John the Baptist and in the preaching of Jesus himself. For example, in Matthew 3, verses 1 and 2, we read, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent! Repent! For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent. Prepare. The way you prepare is to turn away from your sins. Turn away from those things that cannot give life. That enslave us and oppress us. Turn away from those things and turn in faith to the Lord God Almighty. To the King who has come. And Jesus when he begins his ministry, he says exactly the same thing in Matthew 4, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's verbatim what John the Baptist said on the lips of Jesus. Repent. This is how we prepare. Through repentance. The king has come. The power of God from heaven is being exerted on the earth. His will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. His promises are being fulfilled. Preparation is necessary. Are you ready? This is the message. Let's be absolutely clear about 
the message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Hear ye, hear ye. God's righteousness and praise spring up before the nations. That's what's happening. So that's the message. But how does King Jesus want his ambassadors, want you and me, to proclaim this message? Well, when we're talking about this proclamation, we're talking about something bigger than just the ministry that takes place from a pulpit on the Lord's Day. We're talking about how our lives as representatives of Christ, if we claim to be Christians, we're talking about how our lives either reflect well on or detract from this message. This is the message. This is the standard. This is the center of our work in this world and the king we represent. And so how we live, what we say, is always reflecting on this message. Are we reflecting on it with joy in our countenance or with a scowl? (laughs) It's one way or the other. We are reflecting on this message. How are you reflecting? Let's pay attention to how he wants his gospel, this good news of the kingdom of heaven, how he wants it to be proclaimed and how we live. All of us, whether we're ministers of the gospel or not, all of us, it applies to all of us, he wants it to be proclaimed faithfully. That's the first thing to see here. He wants it to be proclaimed faithfully. In other words, he wants us, he wants his emissaries, his ambassadors, those who claim the name of Christ, to say the same thing that he himself said. Jesus preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. We also are to stick to his words. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That means we dare not subtract from this message. We dare not add to this message. And we dare not change this message. No matter how much pressure from the world is brought to bear on us to change it, because the world doesn't want to hear, repent. The world wants to hear, tell me I'm fine just the way I am. Don't tell me I need to change. Don't tell me my life is accountable to heaven. Don't tell me there's going to be a day of reckoning and judgment. I want to hear I'm fine just the way I am, and I can live just the way I want to live. That's what the world wants. But if we are his representatives, if we are his ambassadors, if we've been commissioned by him with his authority, we can't change the message. We can't try to update it. We can't try to rebrand it to make it more appealing to the current market. We can't fall into the trap of thinking that this is a fad. And and we need to try to make the message more palatable, more more likable to the world. No, we've been charged to preach the same message. The message John the Baptist preached. The message Jesus came and fulfilled in his person and preached 
on earth. The same message that he entrusted to his apostles. That's the foundation. No other foundation can be laid. And Christ is the chief cornerstone. So he wants this message to be proclaimed faithfully. We don't have to come up with the message. We just say what he has told us to say. And then he wants it to be proclaimed powerfully. Powerfully. He tells them at that time that this message is going to be accompanied by confirmation, by signs and wonders. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Miraculous, supernatural signs and wonders that confirm the power of the message. And while we haven't been told to expect that same kind of confirmation now in our ministry, the message is just as powerful as it's ever been. And it's the message that is the true power, because the message speaks to what we, what we really need. The illnesses, death even, leprosy, demons, these are things that afflict us, but what we really need is to be redeemed from our sins. We are sinners, and we live in a sinful, fallen world, and that's why there's sickness and death and leprosy and disease cancer, dementia. That's why there are demons that afflict people and tempt us who are so crafty, so tempting, and make the things of the world, the flesh, and the devil look so good in our eyes. That's why. But the message is powerful. It's powerful. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.20, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. But the power comes through the message. As he says in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Do you believe in the power of the gospel? And are you living like you believe in the power of the gospel? Are you living like what we need and what this world needs above all? Is the righteousness of God that can only come to us by the grace of God made available to us in Christ by his righteous life, by his atoning death on the cross, by his triumphant resurrection, by his ascension to the right hand of God the Father? by his ongoing intercession for us. Do you believe that that message, that righteousness, can only be received by faith? It is by faith from first to last. Or do you think you can add to it or improve on it or update it? 
Here's the power. But our worldly side and our worldly inclination says, well, I want to see some dead people raised. (laughs) I want to see some of that healing. I want to see some demons driven out. Then I'll believe. You may say, well, that's so convenient to say that was limited to now. Remember, no one's sent to hell because of sickness or leprosy or demons or even death. We go to hell if we go because of our own sinfulness, because of our own waywardness, our own rebellion, our own refusal to listen to the proclamation, to hear the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is drawn near. Repent and believe the gospel. The death we should fear above all is the death of our sins and transgressions. Being spiritually flatlined and it is only the power of the gospel applied through the person and work of the Holy Spirit that can give new life by whom we can be born again, born from above, born of heaven. That's the only way to enter the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. This is a message that is to be proclaimed powerfully. Do you believe in the power of the gospel or are you ashamed And then we see that it is to be proclaimed freely. Second half of verse 8. Freely you have received, freely give. More literally, you've received it as a gift, give it as a gift. This is a warning that we are always to remember that we are saved by grace through faith. What do we have that we didn't receive? (laughs) So how can we boast? And if we've received it as a gift, if we can't take any credit for it, if we didn't buy it, if we didn't earn it, we don't merit it, then how dare we charge somebody else for it? And there's a warning here, particularly for ministers of the gospel and those who give themselves to full-time vocational ministry, but really for all of us. That if you're in this to make a profit, if you're in this for material gain, you're in it for the wrong reasons. You're in it for the wrong reasons. But the temptation is real, isn't it? If if you believe in the power of the gospel and you know the power of what God can do through the gospel, we need to understand that worldly people will be drawn to this. And we'll want to capitalize on it. Just to cite one famous example in Acts chapter 8, we have this man named Simon, called Simon the Magician, Simon the Sorcerer. He could do some amazing things. He put on an impressive show. Listen to this from Acts 8, beginning at verse 9. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called great power of God. They followed him because 
He had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. This is a man who's amazed at the power of God being exerted through the kingdom of God. He's amazed. And when the apostles Peter and John come to town, and he sees the power of the Holy Spirit poured out, here's what he wants to do. This is Acts 8, verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Here, I want that. He said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. You see, his motive is, I I want other people to have that power. Here's some money. How much you need? Here's my wallet. Listen to Peter's response. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. King Jesus wants this proclamation to be made freely. No one, no one should seek to profit from it. No one should seek to get rich from it. But we should be alert that many scoundrels are drawn to the ministry for this very reason. Because they want to capitalize on this power. And there are even people who can preach a pure gospel from impure motives. From impure motives. Peddling the power of the gospel. So be on high alert. Where the gospel is preached, Jesus wants it to be preached freely, without charge. Freely you have received, freely give. We shouldn't be trying to profit. By their fruits, you shall know them. Right? By their fruits, you shall know them. Watch out. And then, moving to verse 9, we see that he wants this proclamation to be made trustfully. Trustfully. He says, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff for the worker is worth his keep. What he's saying is don't make any extra preparations. Don't get any extra money for this journey. Instead, trust God to provide and trust his people to show hospitality. Trust God to provide and trust his people to show hospitality. In trusting God, he intends for us to live out what we read in Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life, trust God. God is a God who provides for his people. He is faithful and just. 
We can count on him. We're not looking for him to give us everything we want, but everything we need, he will provide. And the way that he provides often is through the generosity and the hospitality of his people. And so he sends his ambassadors out. King, King Jesus sends his ambassadors out and says, trust God to give you what you need and trust that his people will believe the worker is worth his keep, that his people will provide out of the abundance of their possessions. This is hard sometimes, but it's true. I'm reminded of what my grandfather said to my dad when he told him that he felt called to go into the ministry. My grandfather grew up poor. He worked hard for everything he had. And in many ways, he was worldly-minded. He believed in industry and working hard to make a dollar. And he wanted to make sure that his kids were better off than he was. Not a bad thing. But he also, even though he was not a churchgoer, even though he was driven by worldly business principles primarily, he understood something about the ministry. When my dad told him, Dad, I believe God is calling me to go into the ministry. This is what he said with a look of disappointment on his face. Son, you'll never have any money. <laughs> and he's not wrong, is he? Son, you'll never have any money. This is not a way to get rich, or it shouldn't be. But the worker is worth his keep. Trust God's people to show hospitality, to be generous. And, and this doesn't just apply to ministers of the gospel. It also applies to all of us. Whenever there's a need in the church, there's something we believe God wants us to do, something he's calling us to do. Trust God's people to be generous and trust God to provide through his people. He will. He will. Jesus wants this message to be proclaimed trustfully. We don't go around wringing our hands, worrying. We go trusting in our Father's wise bestowment. And then we see that he wants this proclamation to be made peaceably. Peaceably. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. And we may say, well, who's a worthy person? What is a worthy house? Does this mean the biggest house, the most prominent house? Who's worthy? Well, Jesus tells us who's worthy. Verse 12, as you enter the home, give it your greeting. Peace be with you. Bring peace with you. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. The ambassador of Christ, the emissary of the King of Heaven, should never be harsh, abrasive, or argumentative. If you go out into the world saying, I am a Christian, 
and you are harsh, abrasive, and argumentative. You are bringing disrepute on the kingdom and the king of the kingdom. Your life and your witness is detracting from the king and the kingdom. Now, an ambassador of Christ brings peace, greetings. Remember, we see what Jesus sees in the crowd. Sheep without a shepherd, people who are harassed and helpless, who need help, who are lost, and who can't save themselves. We bring greetings. Peace be upon you and upon your house. I wish you well. That's the spirit of an ambassador of Christ. No matter who they are, no matter how they lived, no matter what decisions they made, we wish them peace. Real peace. <laughs> Eternal peace. Peace with God, ultimately. Our hearts, our behavior, our words should reflect the heart of our Savior, who was and who is gentle and lowly toward sinners. We should be gentle and lowly toward sinners. Humble and peaceable. Yes, bold and uncompromising towards sin. Yes, bold and uncompromising towards sin, but towards sinners, to the harassed and the helpless, to the lost, to the perishing. We are gentle and lowly, humble, peaceable, compassionate and kind. That's how Jesus wants this message to be proclaimed. And a house is worthy, it's deserving if it finds welcome, if the gospel message finds welcome there. In Matthew 10, verse 40, Jesus says, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. To welcome Christ's ambassadors is to welcome Christ. To welcome the message of Christ is to welcome Christ. That's the mark of a worthy household. It has nothing to do with how righteous or holy they are. No one is righteous. No, not one. It has everything to do with do they receive it with joy, with peace, with thanksgiving. And if they don't, if anyone will not welcome you, verse 14, or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. In other words, leave it behind you. Turn your back. Don't throw your pearls before swine. Don't throw your pearls before swine. Shake the dust off your feet. Move on to the next house, to the next village. Move on. And this shows us that this is a proclamation that must be made urgently. Urgently. Because of what we read in verse 15, truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. A judgment day is coming for all of us. A day when every secret will be exposed. Everything hidden will be laid bare. And our words and our lives will be tested. And this is the message that we are to proclaim. And people's reception of this message or their rejection determines their eternal destiny. 
And if they reject it, then it's worse for them than for Sodom and Gomorrah. What do we know about Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, of course, this has become a stereotype, a, a, a byword, a synonym for wickedness and debauchery and sexual immorality. But it, it's a place where, though Abraham pleaded with God, there were not even ten righteous people there. Not even ten! But you know, the real problem with Sodom and Gomorrah is when the Lord sent his angels, his messengers, to that town. And instead of receiving them, they wanted to abuse them in horrific ways that shouldn't even be mentioned. Horrific ways. And as awful as that is, as awful as that wickedness and that evil and that debauchery and that immorality is, the greatest error was to reject God's messengers. Because when you reject God's messengers, you're rejecting the message. And that's why Jesus says it's going to be worse for people who reject him because in Christ the king has come. This isn't just the king promised. This is the king come. The kingdom come. And when you reject that, you, you've, you've received far greater revelation and therefore you are far more responsible than the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is an urgent, pressing message. We better handle it as such. We better receive it as such. We better preach it as such. An urgent message. So what kind of welcome does this message receive in your life and in your heart? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It has come near. Jesus has ushered in his kingdom. And one day, King Jesus will return. And that will be the day of the Lord's vengeance, as he promised. So in the meantime, now the window of mercy is open. The door to the kingdom is wide open. All you have to do is trust. Receive the gift. Trust that Jesus is who he said he was. That he did die on the cross for your sins. That he was raised to eternal life. That he can give you that life. That he is Lord. That he is King. Trust him. Do you welcome that message in your life? Jesus ready stands to save you. Jesus ready stands to save you. And here's the best news. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. That's it. You don't have to go fix something. You don't have to go reform something or tweak something in your life. He'll make the changes. Come to him. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Righteousness is here. Holiness is available. Would you just receive it? Would it find welcome in your heart and in your life? The way to be ready, way to be worthy and deserving, is to admit, I am one of those lost sheep. I am harassed and helpless. I am lost. I cannot save myself. Only he can save me. That's it. 
and he stands ready to save you, would you just come to him? You can do it right where you are. Just call out to him, Jesus, save me. A wretch, a sinner like me. Would you have mercy on me? Would you show the power of your grace in my life? Would you heal what is broken in me? And if you know the power of the gospel, if you can testify, I know the power of his grace because I've seen it in my own life, who are you going to tell? Listen up, pay attention. This is the message that's been entrusted to us. Let's be faithful in proclaiming it, both in word and in deed. Amen. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we confess that we are not worthy. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've chosen our own way. We've lived like we could do better than you. And yet, in your kindness, in your mercy, you sent your one and only Son so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, we praise you that that everlasting life is here because your kingdom is here because your Holy Spirit is here with us. And so we pray, Lord, that we would gladly and joyfully receive this good news as good news as the only gospel that can save us. And we pray, Lord, that you would lead us to be more faithful in proclaiming it, that you'd help us to see, that you'd open doors, that you'd help us to hear the opportunities that are all around us, people who need mercy and compassion and kindness. Lord, help us to be your emissaries, your ambassadors, to reflect well on you. All for your glory and praise, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.